0: Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, my name is J.D. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting and I'm the pastor here and on behalf of our team, uh, welcome to what we believe is going to be the best day of your life. Uh, I actually mean that every single day. Sunday. I I think that it only can get better and better and better and better. Uh, And if you didn't know, we're actually in a series right now that we're calling There Is More. And what we are wanting to do throughout our time together, leaning into this series, is better understand biblically who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives. Uh, and before I go any further, I just want to pray. Can you pray with me? Jesus, we want your presence. We want your, we want your clarity. We want your wisdom. Holy Spirit, we want your comfort. We want your conviction. So Lord, would you come? Would you have your way with us? Would you get me out of the way, Lord? What would, would, would be uh, what is on your heart heard this morning, nothing more, nothing less. And everybody in church said, amen. amen. Hey, I want to do something a little bit unique this morning, Uh, and so instead of starting with my normal, hopefully funny story, uh, what I want to do is really kind of uh, put on my professor hat, if you will, and walk us through a biblical framework of who the Holy Spirit is and how He operates in our lives and through our lives. And the reason why I want to do that is because here at Antioch, we do not simply want to be a church that lives inspired. We want to be a church that lives on the foundation of biblical revelation. Inspiration is powerful, but inspiration will not hold you. Biblical revelation will hold you. If you have had a moment in your life When you have been inspired, you've been impacted, you've been encountered, if it's not rooted in a biblical understanding of what you've experienced, there will be other moments that will inspire you to distract you. We do not build powerful lives that lead to transformation in us and through us solely by being inspired by who God is, inspired by what God does. We need to biblically understand who he is and biblically understand what he does because it is the truth of the word of God that will hold us. It's the truth of the word of God that will bring transformation to us. And hear me, it's the truth of the word of God that will heal us in our generation and our culture that we live in right now we need biblical revelation we need to know what the bible says we we need to know why we believe what we believe not just simply that we believe something we we need to understand the framework that we're building our lives on from a biblical revelation standpoint as we are living in a day and age where inspiration is one click away it's not hard to find moments of inspiration. Look, Kate, my oldest son, started his football season last week. Man, I'll tell you what, or I'm sorry, not last week. I'm already moving on. I'm, I'm moving on. As the, I'm one of the coaches. I'm already focused on the Raiders this week. It was yesterday. His first game was yesterday. And on the way to the game, we watched these, like, football motivation videos, Ray Lewis giving speeches, you know. I'm more fired up than Tate. I had to turn it off because I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm gonna yell at some kids, probably. I'm so jacked up right now. Tate's just over there, you know, twiddling his thumbs and sipping Gatorade. You know, I'm like, come on, man, be inspired, right? Like, being inspired is is not really challenging, honestly. Inspiration comes in. Atmosphere, inspiration can come through a compelling story, inspiration can come through seeing something play out in front of you that's encouraging, but biblical revelation is what's going to hold us when the storms hit. It doesn't take a lot of conflict or chaos in your life for you to begin to realize, maybe I've built my foundation on inspiration and not biblical revelation. When pain hits, where you go will show you what you've been building on. If you begin to question everything that you thought that you believed, my guess is that your life has been built more on inspiration than biblical revelation. You've been more of a podcast listener than a Bible reader, and therefore, when the pain and chaos of life hits, we have to know what the Bible says. We have to know who God is because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, And so what we need to understand first and foremost is what I kind of started our series off with last week, and it is this. In John 14 through 16, Jesus made it very clear to us that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. When Jesus introduced the disciples to the Holy Spirit, he painted a framework that Although the idea and the concept of the Holy Spirit might be new to them, the Holy Spirit is not new. Genesis 1, 1. If you're new to the Bible, that is the first chapter, the first verse, and the first book. Okay, It doesn't get any more beginning than Genesis 1, 1. Okay? It even starts in the Beginning, all right, this was the star. Genesis 1, 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. In the beginning, the Spirit of God was there. The Holy Spirit was there. This is echoed again in Genesis 1.26 when it says that then God said, let us. Okay, There, there is nobody else created right now. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us, not let me, let us make man in our image in our likeness who is the father speaking to he is speaking to the totality of his existence the father the son and the holy spirit the godhead jesus and the father are one the holy spirit jesus and the father are one they are beautiful collective they represent who god is in totality to miss part of them is to not see all of him From the beginning, Genesis 1, 26, God is putting into the framework of our understanding that there is three that is one. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. And let us, let that Godhead make man in our image, in our likeness. When Jesus came to walk on the earth, his life his, his death and his resurrection issued in a new covenant and a new understanding of the kingdom of God and how we access it, right? How our access to the kingdom of heaven works. And Jesus also issued a new rhythm of how the Holy Spirit was going to be hovering over the earth. Jesus completed the revelation that was started in Genesis 1 when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, hovered over the earth. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection introduced us into a new rhythm of how that was going to function in our lives, meaning that before Jesus, the Holy Spirit would move on a few on behalf of us all. From Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets, priests, judges, people that were seen as those that the Lord had anointed. And the Holy Spirit in all of his wisdom, counsel, spiritual authority, and power would move on them to communicate to us all what was on the heart of God for all of us. That was life before Jesus. That's how the Holy Spirit hovered and operated on the earth. And with Jesus' game-changing forgiveness, Absolute mind-bending access to heaven If we just confess that he's God, that he's Lord What separates us, what disqualifies us is washed away And we can enter the throne room of grace with confidence And all of us, not some of us, can access all of who God is So now the Holy Spirit does not just move on a few to speak to us all He moves on us all to comfort us all The Holy Spirit is not for a few of us. The Holy Spirit is for all of us. Forgiveness built a bridge to encounter. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, are you guys tracking with me still? Are we okay? It's a little different here. Just testing the waters. All right, Professor J.D., should have worn glasses. But throughout Jesus' ministry, he would call those who were following him to a deeper revelation of what the kingdom of heaven was like. Amen. <laughs> Jesus would call those around him into a deeper understanding of the kingdom of heaven, and he would point to the access that they now had in light of the new covenant that his life had brought into the earth. Jesus was constantly pointing to what was to come and what was to be lived like and what was to be understood about who God was and how he wanted to move on the earth. And we see this when Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14, 12, he says this, "'Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me "'will do the works that I've been doing "'and they will do even greater things than these "'because I'm going to the Father.'" Now, if you read that through the lens of all that Jesus had done, that is a pretty faith-stretching declaration from Jesus. Jesus is saying that we will do greater things than what he has done on the earth. Now, by the time Jesus had said this to his disciples, Jesus had healed deaf people. Their ears had been opened and they could hear. Blind eyes had been opened and people could see. The lame that had never walked in their life were standing on their feet and jumping around and worshiping God. He had multiplied food. He had healed all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. Oh, and don't forget, he had raised dead people back to life. And Jesus says, that is your floor. That's where you start. That's the starting line. All that you've seen me do You will do greater things than those. Your starting line is what you've experienced. There is more than you can ask for, hope for, and even imagine that's to come for those who believe Jesus and live full of all that he has given us access to in light of the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to us. Jesus is the sin forgiver, right? Jesus is the mediator between God and man, and the Holy Spirit is the communicator. The Holy Spirit makes known the heart of God for the people of God. It's done that since he hovered over the earth in Genesis 1, and he's did it all the way through the old covenant and he's still doing it today. When Jesus looked at his disciples right after he told them that their their experiences here with him is the floor of what their experience is going to be without him. He's saying, "I'm going to send you an advocate, a comforter, a excuse me, a spiritual authority, a hope giver, someone who's gonna teach you and remind you everything that I've taught you and showed you and he's gonna empower you to see the kingdom of heaven advance around you. This is what we have access to in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling our lives is absolutely necessary for us to become all that God has created us to be. Now, like I said last week, depending on your experience in church, this idea and concept of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, might feel intimidating to you, confusing to you, scary to you, because you grew up in a culture that was a trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And you know what? I love it. Because an understanding of the Word of God leads you to a deep revelation of the heart of God. But the Holy Spirit is not something that we should fear. The Holy Spirit is not someone that we should worry about. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to comfort us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to strengthen us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring wisdom to us, direction. To us, But as we lean into that, there is a question that usually arises in all of our souls. What is this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit something that we get when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in addition, something that happens afterwards, something that we experience afterwards? The reason why that question is not just for theologians to understand, but for every believer to understand, is because your understanding of how you answer that question will shape where you go in pain and trouble. These deeper questions of the word of God and theology are not for some. They are for us all. We are in a day and age where we need a church that understands the truth. So let me answer the question. Does the Holy Spirit come on us at salvation? Or does the Holy Spirit come on us after salvation? The answer is yes. The answer is both. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians 1. In him we were also chosen and have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will that in alone of itself should shout an amen in this church. Can I just read that again? Because that is a good word, in him. We are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. He's working everything out for your good. In order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when we receive, when we believe that Jesus is our king and we receive the forgiveness that we have access to in salvation at that moment, the Holy Spirit is sealing and guaranteeing and coming in us our salvation. So at that moment, we are sealed with a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance by the promise of the Holy Spirit. But sealing and infilling are not mutually exclusive, meaning that one does not replace the other. They build on top of one another. We see this after Jesus rose from the dead. In Genesis 20, he reveals himself to his disciples, and this is what happens. It says this in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Now look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. John 20, Jesus breathes on the disciples and they receive the Holy Spirit. But then in Acts 1, which comes after John 20, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, right before he leaves earth and goes and ascends to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in John 20, the Holy Spirit came in them. They were sealed, deposit by the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, Jesus' promises that the Holy Spirit will come on them in and then in Acts 2, we see that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. In Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, it's important that we also understand in light of what we just read in Acts 2, that the Holy Spirit coming upon that was promised in Acts 1 did not just happen solely in Acts 2. This same group of people found themselves in need in Acts 4, and yet again, it says that the Holy Spirit came in power upon them and gave them what they need. Now, this is important because you need to also see that the Holy Spirit never comes empty-handed. The Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible, shows up in people's lives with gifts. And those gifts have a purpose to be used to expand the glory of God in the people's lives that are encountering the Holy Spirit and to expand the kingdom of heaven around the people's lives that are believing that Jesus is who he says he is. The Holy Spirit never shows up without a gift. It might be peace. It might be hope. It might be miracles. It might be direction. It might be wisdom. It might be comfort. But the Holy Spirit, as our advocate, our comforter, our spiritual authority giver, never intervenes in us or around us just because he's always bringing with him what we need to understand who God is with us in the circumstances that we are in. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God came in power upon the early church in Acts 2, again in Acts 4, and all throughout the book of Acts. But it's equally important for us to not just grab that the Holy Spirit comes on us in power, but to know why. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit do this? Why does God give us power? Why does he give us authority? What is the purpose? What is the heart of God for us that he would give us these gifts to see his kingdom advance through us? And I love how 1 John 4 4 answers this question. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children, and you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in you in the world the holy spirit that lives in us has been given to us and when the holy spirit comes on us he's always giving us gifts that are also weapons for us we see this all throughout the bible when the spirit of god or the holy spirit would show up in in front of people he would deliver to them weapon gifts things that would strengthen, bring clarity, and demonstrate power to the enemy. Because the spirit that is within us is stronger than the spirit of the world that's around us. And we see some of these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and brings when he shows up in our lives in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, the Holy Spirit is given to each of us in a special way, and that is for the good of all. To some people, the Spirit gives a message of wisdom. To others, the same Spirit gives a message of knowledge. To others, the same Spirit gives a message of faith. To others, that one Spirit gives gifts of healing. To others, it gives the power to do miracles. To others, He gives the ability to prophesy. To others, He gives the ability to tell spirits apart. To others, He gives the ability to speak in different languages that are known and not known before. And still, others he gives the ability to explain what was said in those languages. And all the gifts are produced by one and the same Spirit. And he gives gift, gifts to each person just as he decides. And these gifts, the gifts that the Spirit gives us, therefore are good and therefore his purposes. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3, it says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons, the gifts that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We've been given weapons, these gifts of the spirit that have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish them, to eliminate them. If you're ready to see God start to demolish some stuff in your life, let me hear you. All right, that's good news. Now in 1 Kings 18, we get a beautiful picture I think of how we are to deal with often this this sense of cultural opposition to this revelation of the power that we have access to in Jesus. The reason why the Bible goes in great detail to help us understand that we are fighting a fight that is not between flesh and blood that we are fighting a spiritual battle and the weapons that we need to win that battle are not in bigger biceps. The weapons that we need to fight that battle are not in bigger weapons. They're in a deeper revelation of who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in us and through us. And in 1 Kings 18, there's this moment, there's this cultural collision that is happening in 1 Kings 18. You see, in 1 Kings 18, there was a king named King Ahab, okay? It says this in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, about Ahab, that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those who were before him. One of Ahab's defining moments was he married a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was not someone that he should have married. Let me just side note, don't link yourself with someone who's not seeking Jesus the way that you seek him. Because Jezebel not only fueled Ahab's sin and rebellion, she introduced him to the God Baal. And in the temple, the place where it was built for worship to come up from the people of God to the one true God, in that temple, King Ahab had an altar built to Baal. And in the shadow of the sanctuary of the house that was built to reveal the glory of God, now there is worship going up to a false God. And that false God seemed to have power because the spirit that we're fighting is not flesh and blood. Look, the spiritual realm and evil and the devil is real. And Jezebel not only was leading Ahab down a path of rebellion and sin, she convinced him to let her chase down every prophet, every priest, everyone and anyone who worshiped the one true God and to manipulate them ultimately to kill them. So the people of God are running and hiding in caves. They're ducking under rocks. They're doing everything that they can to stay out of the way of anyone that is from the, the king's house and anyone who is related to Jezebel. And they're saying, we're just going to be quiet. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers because our truth leads to opposition. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Do, do you feel that we are in a similar cultural collision than what was happening in First Kings 18? Yes. Yes, unlike any other time in culture, it seems to be if you stand up for the one true God. It's not just that people will disagree with you. It is that people will rise up in opposition to destroy you. Because the enemy's only weapon against Holy Spirit-filled, empowered believers is fear. The only thing that he can do in opposition to us is to convince us that the fear that we feel is more real than the power that we have access to. And as the prophets were hiding and scared for their lives in 1 Kings, what we find is that God raises up Elijah. And Elijah was... A prophet. He was one who was. He served the Lord. He he was fearless, but he was also fearful. And God spoke to this very normal man, and He said, "Elijah, I'm going to come on you in power, and it is time for the people to turn from worshiping Baal and start to worship." me. And so I want you to go to King Ahab and tell him gather all of your prophets of Baal. Gather the prophets of Ashrob, another idol that they built in the temple. And there was like 850 prophets. And he's like look, build an altar to your God. Here's some bulls. You choose which bull you want to sacrifice. You pick. You get to pick first. You pick what bull is going to honor your God and bring pleasure to you through his eyes. And so he he pulls All of these people together, calls all of the Israelites to Mount Carmel for this great culture collision of light versus darkness. And you have 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashrod, and you have Elijah. And he says, Prepare your bull, however you want to do them, cut them up, dice them up, put them on your altar. You go first. Ask. Baal to come and consume this altar with fire. First one to get fire from heaven down to this altar wins. Bet? So they say, absolutely. It's on. Baal is stronger than your God. Look, we've been able to establish ourselves in your temple. Your God is a fictional story. Our God has power. And so they begin to call out to Baal. They begin to shout. It says from morning until lunchtime, unceasing beckoning for Baal to come and consume their sacrifice. Here's what I love about Elijah. He was a trash talker. I like to talk a little trash in my life. And he starts saying, hey, maybe he's asleep. Yo, read it. First Kings 18. Maybe he's asleep. Won't you shout a little louder? Get a couple more people to shout down. Maybe he just can't hear you. And why he's antagonizing them. He says, look, let's build an altar over here. I'm going to just get 12 rocks. that are going to represent the 12 tribes because God is going to restore everything that the enemy is trying to destroy. And then we're going to take wood and we're going to take this sacrifice that represents the sacrifices to come, which is going to be Jesus. And we're going to cut it and we're going to let the blood pour down. And then we're going to take four jars of water that represent the cleansing of the sins of the people and the refreshment that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pour those four jars all over this altar. And we're going to dig a big trench so that no water is wasted but all that water just pools into this trench around the altar and I'm just gonna say God come come and it says immediately fire from heaven came down and consumed the altar and it was so intense and it was so vibrant and it was so crazy that even the water that was in the trench was licked up it was dried out the ground was burned. The water was gone. The sacrifice was consumed. And this is what the people began to shout when they saw the power of God crush the schemes of the enemy. The people said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You see, when God shows up in power, it demonstrates to all of us that what we are seeing is evidence of the God that we believe in. Do we need the power of God? Yes. Do we need to be infilled and activated by the Holy Spirit every single day? Yes. Why? Because we're in a culture that's just like 1 Kings. We're in a culture where the enemy is rearing his head and trying to build altars in places that were worshiped And it's time for the people that understand biblically who God is, the access that we have through the Holy Spirit to stand up and say, you go ahead, go ahead and shout down your God because my God is stronger than your God. The spirit that is in me is greater than the spirit that is in you. So these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, they're not just to refresh us. They're not just to be cool. It's to strengthen us because they're weapons. These gifts are weapons. Praying in the spirit is a weapon. Prophesying is a weapon. Praying for the sick is a weapon. It's a weapon against the enemy, the spirit of darkness. And it's an opportunity for the living God to invade our land with power and revelation. And that everyone who sees it happens will say, just like the Israelites said in 1 Kings 18, the Lord, he is God. Yes. You know, a few years ago, I'll close with this story. A few years ago, I was in Sri Lanka right after the tsunami. Some of you guys know that I got to be a part of that. And we were doing some just very simple relief work. We, we went, just a few of us, jumped on an airplane about 48 hours after the tsunami happened. And, and we just said, we just want to help. We just want to be there. We think that the church should be right on the front lines. Uh, of the most devastating things that are happening in the earth. And and although we can't do it for everything, we are going to do it for some things. You know what I'm saying? And and so we're like, hey, let's just do it. Let's just go. And so we landed and we, we found ourselves honestly, miraculously through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's a different story. In this little village on the north of the island. And we were led to a makeshift kind of refugee gathering point that was being run by this mosque. And we had been all over the country. We had been there up to this point for a couple of weeks. And so we had experienced all that Sri Lanka had to offer as far as a spiritual climate goes. And I just want to say, it is a smorgasbord of dynamics. Uh, It is a very interesting place. But we walked into this camp and almost instantly you could feel the heaviness it was like they had this makeshift kind of wall and we walked through that little wall and it was like there was a cloak of darkness and oppression and fear that was just draping over this camp. And so they started bringing us just, you know, simple, you know, we could do simple medical things, bandage people up, give people some pain Medicine, very low, you know, just we had a few doctors with us and we're just trying to do anything that we could. We were playing with kids. We were doing some trauma counseling. Our team was just doing We were just wanting to help. And eventually, you know, a line begins to form and you start to kind of treat people and this old man gets kind of brought to us and, and he just kind of plops down on the ground in front of us. And obviously we don't speak their language and so through a translator, they, they said, that, yeah, this man... Hasn't been able to walk for years. He's got really bad arthritis in his knees. And um, can you guys help him? Now, we're giving out aspirin. You know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're, we're like Band-Aids and aspirin, a little Neosporin and Vaseline. That's a little, you know, that's about uh, the medical experience that we were rolling in. And we kind of felt like Peter and John that were walking into the temple, right? And that man that was at the gate named Beautiful saying, hey, like, you know, can you give me some money? We're like, dude, we don't got any money. We don't have any medicine that's going to help you. But what we do have, we will give you. So we said, can we pray for you? So me and a couple of my buddies, we get around this guy, and we put our hands on his knees, and we just start saying, similar to what Elijah was saying, just like, oh, God, come. You know, like, whenever you're doing this, you're just like, I really, like, please, Lord, please. Like, all the magic words you've heard, you know, like, now. You know, like, and just like, and so we're praying, and we're just like, okay, Lord, like, would you show this man and this village who you are? Show this man and this village who you are. And so we start praying for him. And as we're praying for him, this is such a spectacle, right? Everyone starts to crowd around us. And then all of a sudden, this elderly man jumps to his feet and starts screaming in Tongal, And we're like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Because like, we don't know what he's saying. We don't know what's happening. And the lady that was there translated with us is saying, he's saying his knees are better. His knees are better. And he starts doing like air squats, like impromptu CrossFit workout, making it happen. And he looks at us, and he's like, thank you, thank you. And he turns to all the people and he's like, listen to them. So now everyone's like, right? So why does the power of God show up? To reveal to the people that he is God. And so we share the gospel and people start getting saved. And all of a sudden, the darkness that's over this place begins to lift. And God begins to get glory in a place through people's lives because his power showed up. Not because that we have anything special. It's because that he's special. Look, and I just want to say that some of you are in situations in your life where you need the power of God to show up. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe you need some provision. Maybe there's a relationship that's just so broken. Maybe you're in a job situation that feels like it's a dead end. Maybe you have real opposition coming against you because you did. You waved the banner of Jesus and now people are coming against you. And I just want to say that you can come and receive the Holy Spirit right now. For the first time and for the millionth time. God wants to move on you in power. So look, this is what we're going to do. Everyone stand to your feet. Kill the lights. Here's what we're going to do. If you want the Holy Spirit more in your life, I want you to come to the front. Don't wait for somebody to come pray for you. If you're like, I need more, come get more. If you need more, just come get more. We got time for you. Make your way down here. If you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, come up here. For the first time, awesome. For the hundredth time, awesome. The millionth time, awesome. Here's what's great. When God shows up in a place, you don't need anyone to pray for you. Don't you love that in Acts 2, it says the Holy Spirit came like wind and it filled the house that they met in? First, he consumed the atmosphere. Then he impacted the people. That'll preach. I'm telling you. I'm going to go into version two. Order pizza. We're going to go. Cancel the second service. Let's go into it. I just want you to open up your hands. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would come. Lord, right now, we ask for a fresh filling of your power right now. Fresh access to all that you have in heaven. Fresh access To all the wisdom, all the spiritual authority, all the miracles, Lord, everything that you have for us, Lord, give it to us right now. Lord, I'm asking for the gift of prophecy to be released in people, the gift of tongues to be released in people, the gift of healing to be released in people. I'm asking God that the gift of hope would be released in people. Those who are hopeless now will become advocates for hope. You step into situations and your very existence and the Holy Spirit in you changes the atmosphere. Lord, right now we ask that you would begin to pour out your spirit. Lord, as we worship you, flood our hearts. Flood this place. Fill us with what we need. Consume us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just like you consume that altar, Holy Spirit, come consume our lives, Lord. Come and consume our lives, in Jesus' name.